Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine when you opened up that book, it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and so you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Notable Podcast. These are discussions where pastors not only take seriously the biblical text, but they share what they've been underlining and highlighting, all of their notes that help them share the world's most important book and how it's transformed their hearts and how it can transform the hearts of the people you know. This is Season 5, Coming Forth as Gold, a reading of the Book of Job. You're about to hear a conversation between John and Tim Borman, twin brothers, both Christian pastors. Tim is a pastor in Queens, New York, and John is a pastor in Aiken, South Carolina. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E podcast.com. Here's John and Tim. Jonathan, I want you to imagine... That, that the bonds of normal decorum and, and the prison cell of fitting in and the uh, bondage of caring what other people think have suddenly been thrown off. You don't care what God thinks. You don't care what anybody else in the whole world thinks because you are in just so much pain what would you say? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of uh, cultural pressure to say the right what thing. What would you say? What would I say? Oh, boy. That's a great question. <laughs> I don't I, know. I see I've this. never been there. I've never been there. I see, I see this in New York sometimes where people... There was this guy walking down the street. and And he actually scared me in his... The, the violent way he, he was speaking, he was just he was just yelling. Um, he was making threats to people on the street, and I was I was like, this guy is just off the hook. Now I don't I don't think that's what Job's doing here. I don't think he'd be a scary guy to get around, but certainly he is. He has thrown off the normal bonds uh, of decorum, a uh, way of speaking here, and he's he's got this. I don't care. I don't care what any of y'all think i'm just gonna say what's on my heart <laughs> well and it's it's good to to put this in the context of job we're gonna have some severe criticisms of job's friends but at least we should notice what they're responding to and it's job chapter three they are responding to an incredibly toxic talk to- i don't i don't even know how to say it like this is like spiritual mount vesuvius this is like mount vesuvius this is like volcanic off. This is this is like an overflowing, or or to share like a little bit more of the toxicity that I think is here. This is like this is like sewage. This is spiritual sewage flowing everywhere, all over the page. Spiritual. <laughs> I'm really sorry about the metaphors. Mount Mount Vesuvius. Maybe it does wow. help people understand that we have now moved from prose to poetry in the Book of Job, so we have a change of genre. And uh, all of a sudden, we're going to see this beautiful poetry. Um, it's, or maybe what we could say about it is, is like ugly, beautiful poetry. 
It's ugly. I mean, the, the, the concepts that he gives us here are just incredibly ugly, but they're written in an incredibly beautiful way. Timothy, I wanted to share a thought. Um, there's a, a, a biblical scholar by the name of Robert Alter who writes about um, the poetry in Job. And um, we can say more about this later, but actually you can track um, the, the poetry in Job. The, 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 pers- the narrator, Job, um, gives lesser poetry to his friends to talk, and sometimes really awful poetry to the friends, just to show that their theology is sort of like their poetry. It's bad. Um, where where Job has just incredible. I don't know, like the words. I have this this uh, soaring, virtue, soaring, um, and of course the best example of this, and I want everybody to get excited about this is is the Lord's speeches. When the Lord comes out and speaks, I mean, you are just going to be the, the the majesty, the the rhapsody, the uh, it, it's it's just absolutely incredible. But this is what the 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 poet Robert Alter says about Job's poetry here. He says, Job displays a virtuosity that transcends all other biblical poetry. I mean, so that is, that's an incredible comment from, from a guy who really knows his Hebrew. So like, listen to what he's saying. He's saying, this is better than Psalms. This, this is better than any song composed by David. I mean, he's, He's lifting this this poetry uh, way up high. Yeah, so so I mean, Timothy, look at this. Let's let me just make a couple comments about it. Let's see, what's, and maybe you can jump in too. But look at verse three: May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said a boy is conceived. You can see that is just beautiful, striking. What we would call intensification. You got the A line, and then you have the B line, and so you have some parallelism. Um, but what you have there is Job starts with the day of his birth. He pushes his back all the way to his conception. It's just beautiful language. The night is speaking there. Um, you go on um, uh, to different verses, and you can just see his verbal dexterity. Actually, scholars have a really difficult time translating Job's poetry because this guy's vocabulary is off the hook. I mean, he has like... He has like seven different words for darkness here. It's darkness, it's gloom. Um, and so translators have such a difficult time actually um, translating some of this stuff. I actually, you can't see it in, in, in um, English, but I, I love verse 9. You can look listen to this. May its mornings, talking about the day of his birth, may its morning stars become dark. So, so he's saying, I don't, I don't want morning to ever come. He says, may it wait for daylight in vain. And then actually the Hebrew says, may the eyelids of the dawn um, never see light. That is, oh, that is like to, to picture that the today is having eyelids. I, he doesn't ever want them to come up. He doesn't ever want to wake up. It's, it's stunning, stunning poetry. And he, it, what's even more stunning is what he's waxing poetic about. Like he, what he's waxing poetic about is that he wished he had never been conceived. He wished he had, he had actually never been born. It's Timothy. I wanna, I wanna say this now, and maybe our listeners can just think about it. But this, I was just meditating on this this morning before the podcast. I was thinking about why 
would the Lord give us such beautiful uh, poetry specifically about suffering, specifically about even um, a man who's cursing here. And it it's so suggestive to me that God actually ennobles suffering. He's going to to make it matter in the most beautiful ways. And we're going to have to get into that later in the book, but at least we're, it's suggested to us by the poetry here. Now, Timothy, we 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 should just mention because we're just waxing poetic a little bit with Job, but we should just go back to verse one and mention what in the world's going on here. After this, so I'm reading it. Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Yeah, so like that? that's that's th- that word curse. You you have to pick up on that and kind of track it through the through through the book. Like you go back to chapter one and you remember this is the this is anxious Job showing up with his kids and he's thinking, I wonder if they've cursed God in their hearts. So, and then Satan, Satan's big temptation number one, temptation number two, I'm going to try to get Job to curse. Job's wife shows up as a personal agent of Satan, satanic agent, secret agent, and says, curse God and die. And now Job is taking this all in. He's lost his family. His wife has turned on him. He's He, he thinks he's going to die. We talked about that. And lo and behold, you know, what, what comes out of his mouth? Curses. He doesn't curse God. But he certainly curses what God has done. It's a it's a thin line, you know. It's a he is getting right up there, and you know we can debate this. You know, did he did he cross the line? You know, I think we're going to say yes with what he says here. Yeah, curse. He's cursing what God has done. He he's cursing the day of his birth. He he definitely did cross the line. This is definitely wrong for him to do. I don't. I personally don't have any doubts about that. And in fact, um, maybe it's it's worth me pointing this out. What he's actually, this is, first of all, he, he's not praying. So in the Bible, there's there's lamentations, right? And a lamentation is where you, you bring it, you, you know, your pain and your complaint to God. Job's going to do that later in the book. He does not do that here. And in fact, we can say, uh, that later in the book, we have some pretty good examples of what does it look like when a believer, um, you know, voices their complaint to God. And in the Bible, we can even go farther than that and say, um, like, for example, there's uh, Psalms in the Bible that end in pitch darkness. We <laughs> So it's not wrong to uh, admit darkness, um, even complain about darkness, but Job is is doing that. Uh, not to God. He's he's simply cursing. He's not talking to God at all here. And in fact, what he does, now, Timothy, this is stunning to me when I noticed it, but what he does is he actually reverses, he calls for the reverse of God's creation. Um, look at verse four. That day, may it turn to darkness. You know, what was God's first act in creation? God said, let there be light. What does Job say? Let there be darkness. Now you now you can take this. <laughs> May we, God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. Yeah. So look at verse. That's just that's just verse four. 
So what he does is he he curses day one of creation in verse 4. Then he also curses day two of creation. So he recurses the light, then he curses the firmament. And that's just verse 4. You move on to verse 6. Um, he curses the days of the year. He curses the calendar. That, that's day four. God made the days. He made the calendar. He made, he made that stuff. Then you get to verse eight. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan, may it's morning. That now Leviathan, we're going to find out that Leviathan's a sea monster. And, um, in other words, what's happening here, he's cursing the Lord who made the sea. Or you're not, not uh, let me take that day back. Of, he's he's cursing the deep, right? That's the right. Day, yeah, the so day like, God made that's day five. Yeah, yeah, right. And then you have day he. Then you got verse eleven. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? That's day six. So he's saying because that's when God made humanity. He curses human. You know, he curses the day that God made him. And then if you if you go on to verse 26, he says, I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. What did God do on the seventh day of creation? God rested. So Job, he's, Job is saying, God, what? He's cursing God's creation. He, he goes through every day of creation except day three. And, and he, he, he wishes that it would roll back. I mean, what do you say about that? He's he's pushing in to everything that God is doing and has done and saying, God, undo it. He's he's decreation, decreifying. Uh, you know what would you call it? He's trying to t- undo um, the things that God has made, and that's problematic to say the least. And now we're gonna we're gonna have to notice two other problems before we try to suggest to our listeners a solution to this. And the next problem that we're going to notice in what Job talks about is his, uh, shall we call it, Job's doctrine of Sheol. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) So not only does he have a problem, he's got some big creational problems here, but he's also got a problem with Sheol. And Timothy, I'm going to let you tear into that one. Well, you know, it's interesting here because what Job seems to want the most as, you know, as we get into the second part of this extravagant poetry is is he just wants rest. He he just wants to rest. And like verse 13 is is um is a good example of that. He says for now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest. But he, but here's he he continues. He's not talking about heavenly rest here. He's not saying I'm going to go and be with God. And no, he's not. No, no, he's, he's not. looking forward to um, resting with kings and rulers, and 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 specifically, you know, um, he says this there, and he's talking about Shaul. There, the wicked cease from turmoil. And there, the weary are at rest. So this is what he's saying. He's saying he prefers the restfulness of Sheol to the restfulness 
of being with God. <laughs> oh, this is very problematic. I mean, it's it's almost like he's saying, God, I just want to go to hell. Send me to hell to be with the wicked. It'd be better for me there. I'll, I'd rest. I'd I'd have a more restful uh, condition there than what's happening to me right now. This is very problematic. Even, I hope he, he doesn't mean that. I hope he doesn't mean that. <laughs> listen, mean. but even listen to this is very. We've said this before in Job. This is very subversive talk. Very shocking talk. Very caustic talk. Um, Listen to what he says in verse 18 and 19. He says, Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave driver shout. The small and the great are there, and the slaves are freed from their owners. So even even there, Job is talking about um, the exploitation that can happen here on earth. And... um, He's saying it's 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 better in Shoal. It's better in in the underworld. It's it's better, you know, it's better to be dead, is is what he's saying. Now I, I do we need to talk about this. We need to t- this doctrine of Shoal. Uh, now we could do a massive word study on Shoal and and talk about this at, at great length. I'm not sure that's gonna be helpful here. But what we can say about Shaol is is that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it's always the place for unbelievers. It is not the place for believers. So, you, you, you know, when you die, you go to Sheol, that's where there, there, it's life. there's no life there. You're, you're apart from God and his blessings. There's no, it's no life there. Um, or you can go and be um, in, in the life of God. So there's, you know, it's the doctrines of heaven and hell, as, as they're articulated more clearly in the New Testament. Now, there's a couple places where um, there, it's suggested, it seems to be suggested that, uh, that everybody goes to Sheol. Um, and that's in Psalm 89 and then Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9. Let me read Ecclesiastes, Timothy, and, and then we can respond to it a little bit. He says, Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Now here comes the key word. For in the grave, so in Sheol, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Now, we have to go back just for a second to... What we've said, uh, Job does occasionally. He what he's doing here. Um, I forget where I read this, but he's uh, sur- subverting the expectations of the community. So the the community is like, w- when you die, right? You go and a believers go and be with God, and unbelievers go to Sheol. And Kohelet here uh, in Ecclesiastes is. You know, smacking you on the face and saying <laughs> he's subverting that. Um, and Job is doing the same thing. He's reversing everybody's expectation. Everybody expects Job to say, um, "When I, when, as a believer, I'm going to go and, and be with God." Here he says, "Uh, uh-uh. uh, everything's wrong. Everything's upside I, down." I'd rather go and and rest with kings and rulers and the wicked. 
he says. Yeah. So well, here's so what's going on there? Job's not trying to lay down a doctrine of Sheol that he actually believes. What he's doing actually is he's protesting God. He's saying, God, you're doing this all wrong. Um, everything's backwards right now. And so he's cursing um, in this way. Um, you, you got anything else on Sheol? This is powerful stuff. No, I mean, I'm just building on your comments, and then we can get into the third part of this this poem and one of the third major thing that he says. But, you know, it's interesting to think about what he doesn't say here. Like, he he's going to calm down a lot when he responds to his friends. We'll talk about this as the book goes on. But he is, Job is off the hook here. He's he's emotional. He's he's literally like out of his mind in, in a certain way. And he's saying stuff that he actually doesn't believe. Like he he actually doesn't believe it, but he's taking his case to God. Um, he's thrown off normal decorum. Uh, and he's not really wrestling with theology at all. He's really not. No, nothing in this in this lament in this curse is is really theological in nature, and we shouldn't take it that way. He's he's. It's like when you're at the bottom of a hole, and it, it's almost like how, how, how can you put it in the context of like a husband wife argument? Like sometimes you know the things to say that are gonna poke poker. You don't really mean it, but you mean it. And it's wrong to say it, but you say it anyway. And that's what Job is doing here. Um, it, it's it's really stunning, um, toxic stuff. Now, I, I, Timothy, I do want to I want to get into the third part of this poem um, in just a second, but I do want to go to verse eight and and talk about that for a second because Leviathan there in verse eight. This is the first time we get a glimpse of him. And he plays a major, major role in in the book of Job. Yes, he plays. Yes, he does. He, he gets a whole chapter. He gets incredible. He gets a whole chapter. So, and this is the first time Job um, talks about him. And I want to try to give people a little bit more biblical context for Leviathan. We're not going to say everything there's going to be to say about Leviathan because we're going to hold that till Job forty-one. But I do want to pick up. Job's thought here. Here's what he says. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. Now, uh, now Leviathan here, we said this already. He's a sea monster. He's, he's in, he, he's in, he's in the deep. So he's, he's an ocean going, um, kind of creature. Um, the other thing that we can say about him right here from this verse is that um, Job is trying to get him roused. I would call these the, there's people who are cursing days. These are the powers of darkness. They are fighting against the Lord. Um, we could call them decreational forces. Whatever God does, um, these forces of darkness are trying to overcome him. So they're fighting against God's order of creation. And we can see this now. Uh, ooh, we're going to have to get into this um, a lot further. I'm turning my Bible to Job chapter 38. Um, but there, the Lord actually undoes uh, Job chapter 3. And one of the ways he undoes Job chapter 3 is here you have Job um, really, you know, singing darkly, I guess you could say, uh, against um, morning ever coming. 
um, and creation ever happening. But there the Lord says in Job 38 verse 7 that the morning stars sang and angels shout for joy. Um, and so that's what it says. And, and Job seems to be understanding like these are demons here in verse, in verse 8 who curse that day. And, and Leviathan seems to be some sort of like head of, of all that here. Now, Job, Job, <laughs> he talks about this sea monster more than once in, in the book of Job. Let me just cover this really fast. Um, you can go, go and listen and study this yourself, um, listeners, but you can go to Job uh, 7 verse 12. There, Job talks about a sea monster who is under guard by the Lord. So the sea monster is an enemy of God. Um, you can go to, to Job chapter 9, verse 13. By the way, I should tell you, I should tell you that um, this sea monster, some scholars think that he's got three heads. Now, it's, it's hard to understand exactly what's going on. It's interesting. I was just reading this morning from Psalm 74, Timothy, and I noticed as I was reading there, that um, Leviathan gets mentioned there. Um, I think it's Asaph who's writing there. And um, his head, his heads, and it's plural, so his heads get broken. Um, now, there's some question about whether um, he's got multiple heads, like he's a, he's a three-headed monster, or whether that's like a, just a plural intensive um, uh, intensification in the Hebrew. Like we just, or in other words, we maybe have different names um, for the same creature. So, but obviously in the Bible, um, he, he's given different names. Like sometimes he's called Tanim, sometimes he's called Rahab, and sometimes he's called Leviathan. And Job picks up all three of those names, actually. Um, in Job 9, verse 13, God is angry um, at Rahab. And then in Job 26, verses 12 and 13, um, Job says that God cuts Rahab to pieces, so we have some kind of creature here who is um, fighting against God, some premier princely creature that's fighting against God. That's a lot to take in. Yeah, that's that's a lot of Bible right there. <laughs> yeah, and and so you know, I'm, I'm glad you felt that you like t- took a coloring, uh, like a green coloring thing and color that in for me it's with leviathan timothy he's all over he's you can pick up leviathan i mean i i think our hearers should should do this for themselves but leviathan shows shows up in isaiah chapter 27 um there is a twisted servant uh and a sea a sea dragon psalm 104 he seems to be some kind of sea creature i like to think of him as god's rubber ducky there <laughs> God's just so much bigger than him, and he's his creator. So he's all over. Leviathan's all over the Old Testament and um, picked up here by Job first. And I think I think it's important just to notice that that Job does name him just once in chapter 3, like to kind of introduce this new character to the drama. And, you know, we're going to have to push hard into that. Like you said, Job 38. 39 at, at the end there and just see like who is this who is this leviathan that that job is really saying come out come out of the sea and and do your destruction you know come on out and blot my life out that's kind of what he's saying here 
Um, and the Lord, like you said, is going to undo that. One thing, one I, there's one connection I will make, and this is just a tr- premier gospel point that I would really like everybody c- to connect up. In the Bible, the sea is a symbol of chaos and destruction, and it's it's something to be feared. Um, so in the book of Revelation, for example, that's one of the reasons why it says there, there is no sea, and there's not going to be any more monsters coming out of the sea. And Revelation picks up that idea. But um, take it back um, out of the symbolism of Revelation. And what is one of Jesus' premier acts in the Gospels? What does he do with the sea? What does he do with chaos? He walks on it. He, he calms it. He, he does all kinds of things with it. He walks on it. Yeah. Yeah. So you think about that. Think about that for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think we just need to pick up one last thing in this in this you know devastatingly beautiful um, subversive lamentation that we have here in Job chapter three and and it's this that Job as he nears the end he's got a lot of questions like why does God give light to the bitter life to the bitter soul why why God do you want a, a guy like me alive just suffering like this so so bitterly. Um, and then he he actually admits something that he doesn't admit anywhere else, and it's actually really stunning. He he says this is verse twenty five and twenty six, and I think this kind of gives us the key to what God is doing in Job's life. And this is just an amazing thing, just to learn about Job. He says, "What I feared has come upon me; what I dreaded has happened to me." I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. And I think that's that's really a, a key like interpretive point for the book of Job. Like a lot of people are like, God's just playing with Job's life. It's we don't know why this happened. Um I said this before in one of our earlier podcasts. Job was a deeply sensitive, uh he had he had a soft um conscience and because of that he was an anxious man and and so he's building fires at 5 a.m for his children just hoping just praying that that his worst dreams will not come true that his kids won't curse god that they won't be wiped off the face of the earth and then and then it happened and and so job admits he admits to his own fear and anxiety that he had always had. What I feared has come upon me, and you know, I just I want to I want to meditate on that for just a second, and and just ask the question, you know, what is or what was God doing in Job's life? And if one of the things, and it wouldn't be the only thing, but what if one of the things that God was doing in Job's life was kicking that that fear and that anxiety of of what might happen right out of his life what if he was doing that you know he what if he was teaching him not to live such an anxious lifestyle and just to learn to trust this is this has so many applications for us timothy you know sometimes i look at my spiritual life and and there's a sense of despair like man can i ever change can i can I ever be a, a more whole man for the Lord? And I want to be. Um, and 
and Job did too. You know, he but look at him. He had dread. He had fear. And so what's the Lord doing? He's making him a more whole man. He's <laughs> he's by taking him to the place that that uh Job feared the most. The Lord's going to show him I'm going to defeat your most deadly fears. I'm going to conquer what you dread the most. I'm going to show you that you can wholly trust me with your heart. You know, and that's what God wants the most is is for us to be able to sit there and say, God, you got this. (laughs) It's interesting to think that it wasn't enough for Job just to be able to look around and see these these thousands of of female donkeys um these this blessing of children like this this heaping up of wealth and be able to say you know what god's god's going to take care of me god's got this god's loves my children more than i do that wasn't enough for job um to overcome his anxiousness his fear and his dread it wasn't enough so what does god do he he he's going to show to job that he really can trust him that through through suffering through suffering it's an amazing amazing thing what god's going to do uh in this book and <laughs> exactly and this is where some of you are listening to this maybe you're not in pain at all and but you're going to come into pain eventually because you live in this world some of you are are in it you're in it right now um for one or maybe a bunch of different reasons um but it's really job chapter three is really helpful for you um because it helps you um understand better what the lord is doing and it actually in a negative way shows you how not to respond to it now later we're going to see Job a little bit as a model of how to respond to pain. But look at verse 23. And this is a trying to wrap up this episode, but look at verse 23. Let me read it to you. It says, Why is life, this is Job talking, why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Now you'll notice that Satan is actually the one who accused God. God, you you hedged in Job, you can't do anything. Um, blah, blah, blah. Now, Job actually gets it totally wrong. He accuses God of hedging him in with suffering when what God has actually done is hedged Satan off from from killing him. So he actually is misinterpreting his suffering. And I think this is very important. Don't, when when we're in deep pain like this, it's important for us not to misinterpret our suffering, not to attribute to God something that Satan has actually done. That's a key point that the, that the poetry here is pointing out to us. And this, and this, so this is what I want to tell you. Um, in your spiritual life, keep in mind that there's a key, key difference between what I will call biblical lamentation and biblical despair. The difference between lamentation and despair. Lamentation is a prayer to God. Despair is talking to yourself. That's the key difference. And what Job, the mistake that Job makes here is he doesn't bring it to God. He does not talk to God about it. See, this, this is what despair is. Despair is saying God is not going to. He might, he might not even exist. God is not going to help me. Lamentation is saying, God, my life is busted. It's not supposed to be this way. 
Um, Kierkegaard said it like this. Kierkegaard said that despair is a denial of God. And he said that lamentation is the most costly kind of belief in God that there actually is because there's no evidence in your life that God is being good to you, but you are hanging on to him anyway. Biblical lamentation, that's what we're headed towards. Yeah, and what we need to do is, like, what what do you do when you come to this place? Like, your Job's at the bottom of the pit. He's... He's wanting to, he'd, he'd rather spend, find restfulness in, in Sheol. And when you, when you get to a place like this in your life, you know, I've been there. Where do we go? How, how can we know that God loves us despite everything that we see, like Kierkegaard says? It's, it's in the cross of Jesus, you know, like you, you, you look at that and you say, God, do you love me? And you say, well, he died for me. Are you sure that you love me? God, are you, are you really sure that you love me? Because it sure doesn't seem like it. And, and Jesus says, yes I, yes, I love you. Look at what I've done for you. And look at the peace that I won for you. And, and look at the life that comes after you died yourself. You know, look at, look at the life that I've promised you. And, and you say, okay, God, I trust in you. And, and that's really the place that, that we want to go. It's the place where we want to come to when, when we're suffering like this. Dear listener, if you're in pain, you got to hear this, and you got to hear it loudly, and you got to hear it clearly. Jesus came. You think, think about what Job's doing here. He's groaning. He's cursing. Think about this. He's restless. Jesus came and, and he took your curse. That's, that's, that's what the cross was. It was a curse. He took your curse. He, he bore your groaning. He, he groaned himself. He, he became restless for you. He took well, all... Well, think, yeah, think, sorry to butt in on you, but think about it like this. Like, when did the sun get blotted out? You know, when when do the morning stars stop singing? When we we can do this, you know, when when did time halt, you know? Because because all the sin of the world rested on him. It was creation was, was coming undone. Right then and there. And and it all happened so to bring us to God, you know. So, so that, we could have a new morning, Timothy. You know, Job is saying, I don't want the sun to come up. Jesus is saying, I'm bringing the sun up for you. Right? That's Easter. Yeah. I'm bringing the sun up. The eyelids the of the are going to open right. up. It's hope, mm-hmm. right? It's hope. This, and this is where God is, is driving at. God wants to give us rest. True and ultimate rest. Job doesn't have it right now, but he's getting them there. Let's hope in that. Thanks for listening to The Notable Podcast. Check out our other seasons to hear other people sharing their notes and highlights. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E podcast.com. Thanks for listening.